Hello everyone, Frank here. I just want to interrupt your regular scheduled programming to sort of warn you that the following episode unfortunately has a great deal of technical issues and in account for both my mic sort of dying and collapsing mid-recording along with afterwards my computer also decided to being a dick. So, I don't know, <laughs> we're gonna do something, I, worst case scenario, I'll record in my phone, but hopefully it won't come to that, I, I just don't really know, in any case, we have a good episode ahead of you, uh, that's why I managed to salvage it, and I will through editing it, which was kind of a nightmare, but there's some interesting discussions, we had a good deal of fun, we always do. And yeah, I it's an episode worth saving and worth listening to. So please ask for your patience with it because unfortunately it didn't it didn't turn out as we wanted to. But it's still a good one and we hope you enjoy it. So enjoy the episode. Welcome back Hello. to the next page. Yay. So We're I on am schedule. Frank. Yes, and we I'm are. Bruno. <laughs> we are your old duo for historian and a man of literature working together back again. Exactly. And good time, actually. Uh, today, today we have something interesting. We have a short story. Very, very short story. Yeah, seven pages. Yes, by a Brazilian writer from the late 19th century, early 20th century. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk a bit about him, Bruno? Yeah, so I actually got his uh, Academy of Letters link here. Hmm. He was the third occupant. I don't know if that's, uh, <laughs> if that's even a word. Uh, he was one of the, the high chairmen of the Academy of Letters. Uh, he actually wrote a lot of chronics, and uh, he helped in newspapers. Uh, basically, his his major uh, work for earning his money was in in newspapers here uh, here in Brazil. And but as as the the scene of press and newspapers and people that worked in this environment had a lots and lots of of philosophers and writers he bit by bit became to write more literary stuff uh his name is i'm sorry his name is umberto de campos i don't know if there's any translation for umberto maybe hubert something like that yeah yeah and well he he actually wrote lots of these little uh short stories and Chronicles, and he actually used lots of pseudonymos as well, even one called Batu Allah and Helios. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, he was uh, he was a bit crazy. And even uh, one one important thing to know that that he he saw himself as one of writers of the Parnassianism here in Brazil, but when he died and his uh his diary was published he had lots of reserves and different views from the classical parnassianism mm -hmm. so he he is a, a a really fun figure and i think that the nature of his texts tells a lot about him because it's kind of a horror story but it's not so much horror it's more suspense but it has some classical horror elements in it. So he he has this sort of personality of being inside a doctrine, but actually doing what he wants and mixing it up and uh, keeping things interesting. So yeah, that's Umberto de Campos. Yeah, it's, um, I've, I've only read the short story we're going to talk about. 
Yeah, me too. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> but it's interesting because it is not what we expect from the usual Parnations. Uh, we've yeah. mentioned them before slightly, but basically they were ones for like high art and literature and poetry of the ivory tower. So there's one like one of the most traditional ones is like the, the Chinese vase. So it's like just the description of this special piece and that's yeah. the poem and that's sort of how they the manifesto in a way yeah. so this short story is a bit different and i guess that's how he's defined sort of in this neo-parnasianism where it carries some of that but it's not the same it's like there are other figures from that same time in brazil who literally don't fit with anything because mm -hmm. the way we understand like the literary currents, if you use that terminology and, con and conceptual framework, is that you have the, the Parnasians, and in the early 20th century, around the 20s, you have the, the modernist movements all yeah. over the world, but it's, uh, especially the Brazilian one was, and especially in Sao Paulo, rupturing with the Parnasianisms. Exactly. So... But in that interval, like, because as usual, these things are never clear cut, but in the interval for like the height of Parnasianism and before like uh, this rupture by the modernists, you have a time in between where some writers with really different stuff come up. Mainly, I'm thinking of Augusto dos Anjos. That's his name, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he writes like, it's almost Baudelaire inspired on the grotesque and the flesh and it's just yeah. really interesting but and i think like i guess some of these new parnations they sometimes fit with it like they carry these elements but they work in different frameworks this one he is from rio right umberto de campos actually let me just check he was born in a place called miritiba which is m-a uh, maranhão uh, maybe, yeah, Maranhão. And then he died in, in Rio. Oh, yeah, but he, he did most of his political career in Rio, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that's... And, and, that's and his, his political career was cut short because of of Vargas and uh, um, the coup. Yeah, Yeah, that, that explains a lot, <laughs> uh, as those yeah. things go. But anyway, the story we're actually going to be talking about after this bit preamble, but I think it's interesting to just sort of like, these are the sort of people we're talking about, this is what they writing, and this is why this is a bit different. <laughs> the title is The Eyes Who Ate Flesh. Yeah. Yeah. In Portuguese, you, you don't really have the distinction between the word like meat and flesh, but yeah. just the way the short story goes, I think flesh is a better translation. Oh, note yeah. I didn't find any translations, either of his work or this short story in sp in specifically. I might translate it. It's very short, and it's apparently in public domain, thank God. So, yeah. I am thinking about it. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. If it does... If, if, if there's time, yeah. If there's time, we'll see. I've been doing a lot of different stuff, but I don't know. No yeah. promises, but maybe, maybe. Yeah. It's it's very short. It's fairly. It seems simple. We have this academic who is sort of this literary figure who just published his eighth volume and final volume of the history of human knowledge, yeah. where he spent like fourteen years of his life writing and whatnot. And he wakes up and he finds out that he has become blind, and. He doesn't realize it at first, but his sort of servant comes in and is like, oh, the, the lights are on, like, can't you see them? And it's like, oh, no, what I was fearing all these years has finally arrived. Yeah. Because he says that, like, it was a condition, it was a sort of imminent thing and whatnot. And then he tells of this particular Professor Plan from Berlin, who had a specific experiment and method that could restore eyesight to those who went blind. And... And especially with the narrator early on, like, going... And again, we follow this main character, who is... I don't sure we have a name, do we? Oh, oh no, we do. Paulo Fernandes. It's right at the beginning. This yeah, doesn't sound Paulo very Fernandes. professional. But then again, yeah. we're not recording at <laughs> night. We're recording 
a couple hours after lunch, so it's a bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> All well yeah. and good. And Paolo, he, he sort of lamenting, like, oh, how could I go blind? This horror, this dreadful thing. And I'm emphasizing this because it comes up later on. And he tells of this professor who found this method to restore eyesight. Professor Platten. Yeah, yeah Professor Platten. Yeah, I, I, I know his name. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit more professional now. <laughs> and he's going to subject himself to this experimental treatment and whatnot that apparently worked before. Yeah. And he goes, and but when the time of the operation comes, he's sort of nervous and he starts telling about things that he started noticing with being blind, like how yeah. each person has a particular sort of step and that becomes an identity of its own. And he's not as bitter and angry as he was before. Yeah, it's almost like the the, the good aspects of being blind, basically. Yeah, like he's... He's now, he no longer resents being blind. He's yeah. frightful of like what this procedure might be and restoring his eyesight. And yeah. as it turns out, he had plenty of reason to be. Because <laughs> once he opens his eyes, he can see, but he doesn't see people. All around him are human creatures. But these creatures don't have dresses, don't have clothes, they don't have flesh. They're only skeletons. Bones that move, yeah. tibias that walk, skulls that open and close their mandibles. His eyes eat the flesh of the living. His retina, like the x-rays, goes through the human body and only detains itself in the bonework of those that surround him and in front of the inanimate things. So, those yeah. are the eyes. <laughs> yeah. Lo and behold, this is not where we end. Because what happens yeah. next is he sort of goes frantic, runs away from the, like sort of the operating room of the hospital, and once he reaches the street, all around <laughs> he sees skeletons, <laughs> a whirlwind of specters of skeletons that march and clatter their teeth as if they'd opened an ossuary whose bones wanted to come out. He releases a scream yeah. and fall Spook. back as the skeletons march towards him, trying to hold him. And as he pushes them away, we reach this final short paragraph. And, jabbing his nails in his face, he sinks them in his orbits and rips them out in a movement of despair of the <laughs> ensanguinated globes and collapses, trembling in the floor, crushing in his hands those eyes that ate flesh and that devoured macabrely the flesh of the living, turn human life all around in a sinister ball of skeletons. Spooky, scary skeletons send shivers down your spine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think this is all that needed to be translated because, like, while well, the beginning of the story is interesting, like, th this ending, like, is what sells the story. Because, okay, you're reading, exactly. like, okay, let's see where this is going and whatnot, and you kind of forget the title. But then you're, like, you get to the operation and, oh... This is weird. Yeah. And then he panics and it's like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. The, the first moment I, I really thought that he was, he was going to take off the, the gauze and look at his eyes and he would be just like with no eyes and something like that. Like the, or maybe his eyes were fine, but his head was being corroded by his eyes. Like I was thinking in the literal sense of like the, the eyes that eat flesh. And it was just the opposite. Yeah, I, I was thinking that like his eyes would turn violent and start attacking people. <laughs> so I, I, I was a bit more gruesome on that one. Uh, but the, yeah. I do think we get a good story surprised, surprised by it. So yeah, amongst a couple of things we, we were mentioning about talking about right before we started recording, I think the first one, just to sort of get it out of the way, and I think it's one of the things that I found very interesting about it that I didn't expect. Uh, because at the very start, we I was, I was mentioning how, like, he's angry, he's bitter about going blind. And I was like, that's not really... Okay, in the 19th century and early 20th century, that would be very more difficult. But, you know, it's still yeah. not literally the worst thing that could happen. Like, you're still alive. You know, plenty of other writers in the 20th century went blind. 
So this sort of thing did happen. Yeah. Uh, so that yeah. was like, okay, that's a bit annoying and a bit unsettling. But then when we get to the second moment, right before the operation, he doesn't carry that same mood. So like if at the first he had this sort of ableist position of like, oh, being blind is the worst, there's no life anymore, there's nothing else. Later he's like, yeah. there's something interesting about this that I, I was... Yeah, there's yeah, something unique. He doesn't say yeah. it outright, but he sort of admits he was wrong about his life being over by being blind. Exactly. So yeah. I, I was genuinely very surprised about that because... It's the book yeah. dealing with this ableism in a way that I I didn't expect, like sort of a mature handling of it. It's like, no, this yeah, it's different and can sometimes be better, sometimes be worse, but it's not it's not the same and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, and from a short story from a hundred years ago, basically. Yeah, it, it it did sort of huh, nice. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's something that I, I couldn't but mention because when we read different stuff, we get sometimes surprised and sometimes we ex expect certain things and certain prejudices from the past because yeah. they were faced and confronted in different ways. These prejudices were acceptable a lot of the time. But sometimes yeah. we find works that handle it like beautifully. To take an yeah. example I saw from Twitter, like, the uh, original Twin Peaks series handled apparently like a, a trans character in like a poignant and sort of just perfect way. Like I haven't gone to that point yet, but apparently it did so really well. And it's like, it was, I think the eighties or something. It's like, they still don't get it right, but they did back then. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, like I'm a historian, so like we can judge them the same way. We do need to judge them in a way because uh, there are those who do it well because sometimes while the same overall social perspectives and positions aren't the same, being a decent human being sometimes isn't that difficult regardless of the time. Yeah, so, you know, exactly. Yeah. A, a good positive comment on this small short story. Yeah. So... Yeah, and I think that, that that same subject goes in the direction of talking about the the nature of trying to deal with reality mm -hmm. in a nice manner, in a accepting manner, because that's that that that's like the yin yang of the story, mm -hmm. because he has this first moment of anger, and then shortly after he begins to think about the the positive aspects of it. Yeah. And then yeah. when he goes back, almost like a, a different, a, a ultra short and a reinvented hero's journey, like when he goes back to the first state, when he goes back to his comfort, his basically his air quotes home, he he doesn't want that anymore. He... Uh, we we could even argue that one of the aspects of ripping his eyeballs off wasn't only the skeletons, but was in fact the the thought of it. It, it wouldn't matter. Uh, he even talks like that in a certain moment. He's like skeptical, and he thinks he, he will not see. And he basically already accepted that he will not see. Yeah. It's it's funny because it, it, it almost passes by like just a, another element, but I think it's really fundamental to think about that, that that essence of changing something in your mind that even when your body changes or you suffer an accident or something bizarre, you can perjure it and and survive to it. But it's really interesting because his when he's talking about waiting for the result of the operation his uh he the, the the result is more expected by the doctors than by himself he's nervous about it in a way that like mm, i'm not yeah. sure uh, it, it's a short story all about perspective yeah uh, at the end of the day like seeing 
not seeing seeing in a distorted manner. And like he's not sight. It's a different type of sight, but yeah. while at first it seems daunting, later on it's bearable, it's interesting, <laughs> there are good stuff to it. But at the end it's just <laughs> the end proves that it's like this final one is unbearable. This final one is like no, no, please no. no. <laughs> and and we were talking earlier as well as uh, it, it's it's really symbolical as well that he doesn't. It, it's really symbolical the fact that he just rips his eyeballs off. That's obviously symbolical, but uh, the most symbolical thing I, I I think is the fact that he doesn't go to the extent of ending his life. He, uh, in the end, he just returned. Uh, the last line is basically him returning to the point where he was at ease. He ripped his eyes off and he lay there in the ground and he's alive, but he's blind again. And that's his ending in not a happy way, but not in a bad way as well, I think. I, I don't know even how to say it. That's, and I think that's, the main reason why it's it's inside a horror uh, horror story book because horror has this aspect of talking about things in a way that is not there's no, not much of many cases uh, attached to the story there's a there's this kind of um, how can I say it this nuanced view of dealing with such a strange thing so uh, as we were saying we, we've been having slight technical issues so <laughs> it, it might be a bit more all over the place than usual but those things happen so yeah we're yeah. gonna make this work regardless but you would as i was saying like the whole show story is about perspective and yeah. having a perspective that is sort of more traditional, more well-seen by large society, then not seeing, have be, both being prejudiced to it beforehand and then experience it on by yourself and realizing, no, this is different, but this is interesting, this is nice, this is good. And yeah. then at, at the end, like something that is truly unbearable, that yeah, is yeah. monstrous, so to speak. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the terror element again. Yeah. It's really, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Uh, but you yeah. mentioned you had some other stuff to share, I think. Yeah, and that, that middle moment, as you said, about seeing uh, things as not that unbearable, I mean, that's even kind of not, uh, not that Parnasian as well. And that's what I think I like a lot about the short story as well, because... It's kind of like a mystical moment where he's kind of pondering about his life and this new situation of his life. And you think, well, it can't be good going blind. But then he sort of begins to, he spontaneously starts talking about the good aspects of the new aspects and kind of pleasing aspects of being blind and in a certain way like not not to generalize but parnasianism was about perfection in nature and and this kind of uh, models of life mm -hmm. and when you think about someone going blind you would think that this is exactly the opposite of something truly parnasian like the, the this person is not like is not in the same state as someone who's in perfect uh, good health so i i really like to to look at that and and, and that that vision of uh, of going through this state of perfection and seeing the benefits and seeing the the good part about it and then when he does a uh, a procedure that is not that it's not that natural it's human but it's not that natural it's more scientific then it becomes fully parnasian because he's basically 
uh, playing with the aspects of changing the body and doing a procedure, and then it becomes unbearable, and he goes back to the to the state that basically nature put him into because he became blind not by an accident but by his own body basically. Yeah, that's I hadn't thought about that, but it makes plenty of sense in a way that like it isn't the blindness that is unnatural, but it is this procedure, it is the use of X rays. This exactly. is what is seen as unnatural and monstrous that yeah. creates such a distressing and horrible feeling to the narrator. So in that sense, like you're not going to be prejudiced against being blind. Like it may be a challenge, but that's not problematic uh, for the author. But yeah. in the sense, like this procedure, this use of technology, these other things are, these are dangerous. These are horrible. These, these truly violate nature in a way that like, flesh is devoured much yeah. like the x-rays so it's like these things don't mix in a way which is strange but still sort of interesting to read it uh in that perspective yeah and and it's it's really symbolical as well because the doctor is not brazilian in in that sense like it, it's it's a stranger which has a new like he has a new method it, it's it's all about that that figure from from another place with another technique that is promising a cure, and that that is a really, if you think about it, it's almost like the figure of the witch in the woods, like uh, someone who promises something good and something that will uh, better your life, and then uh, in the classical short stories, it's just a way for sort of like um just trapping people basically yeah and 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 that's like the whole point in in this sort of parnasian way of looking at it is like you fell into the into the bait of the promises of science in that in that aspect like and, and exactly the moment that he thinks about the one of the positive aspects is nothing to do with science it's nothing to do with oh but i have maybe i will have my vision back again one day or maybe it's just like he has sort of a mystical relationship with this new with this new situation with this new moment of his life and then the the this mysticism is broken by the the procedure which is purely scientific and the short story even goes deep into the into the details of the uh, of the the procedure so it's it's almost like a mockery it it, it goes so in, in into detail and says all those things and then it just goes terribly wrong yeah that that, that seems to make plenty of sense actually because what we do see is the story of someone like and the procedures that are like going against the order of nature in a way that yeah. isn't it isn't inherently harmful, but the story judges it very intensely. Um, yeah. One thing that I was looking at as we were talking is that before the the procedure was finished. <laughs> Uh, they were already sort of like, no, this is going to be fine. It's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> where is it? Uh, there is this particular... The saint was so sure of his prestige that he was going away without waiting for the verification of the miracle. So yeah. <laughs> it, it is such like a blind faith in this procedure and science, judged yeah. by the short story, uh, that like, oh... There's, there's no need for him to be there. Like it's he knows it's going to be fine because he's great, and not yeah. because the procedure is good, safe, secure, or sensible. Yeah. And it, it is it is very much like a criticism of this sort of scientific perspective and attitude, which does make plenty of sense when you think like Parmesan's a perspective on like the bucolic and the nature and the connection yeah. of this. That is not that is very high minded, 
in a sense, and that makes sense conflating these two things. Yeah, exactly, because he's not being a hypocrite thinking about this, like this this sort of, uh, and, and this has its own merits, but th that kind of saying like, you have to have uh, faith in science. Science is, is not, it's not a hundred percent exact and not a hundred percent empirical. There are certain aspects of it that are uh, almost like blind faith. Yeah. And, and that's the same thing. Like when, when he just turns his back and he is sure that the procedure went well, it's just like, how do you even know? And he's not right because it didn't go well in the end. Yeah, like I kept thinking about how the initial test, like because he has this prestige, because apparently it worked before. Um, yeah. Um, I was like thinking, I wonder if that previous one worked as well. Uh, yeah. If it did, I think the idea is that it was a fluke. So it's like random yeah. chance or fortune that it did work out and didn't go into like a complete disaster like it happened with our main character, Paolo. So yeah. it is a very critical and sort of cynical posture. Yeah, and I and I think it, as well that like it, it's almost uh, like being inside the domain of literature, it's it's almost like uh, th that isn't applicable to reality. But I I would argue that he th that maybe the procedure only went so sideways because of uh because of the psychological aspects of it like of him thinking that it wasn't going to work and him thinking about oh maybe i don't want to do the procedure and you you add all these elements to the fact that the the doctor was like yeah it's going to work i don't give a fuck like i know it's going to work because i'm a genius and then you have like almost like a, a sum of wrong aspects that go into a successful procedure that has success in doing something that is terrible <laughs> basically yeah he's ending up with like so a half success but also a half failure exactly. because he seems just very weird now yeah <laughs> like i think well it, it definitely would be metal to see everyone as skeletons <laughs> it's a bit complicated because you don't you see them as the literal skeletons so they are un un undifferentiated you don't see clothes so you basically see everyone is the same yeah which would be difficult i'd imagine but yeah. it, would, it would be very freaky as well like yeah it's metal it's goth i don't i, I think it's a bit much too <laughs> when you think yeah, about I, the logistics of it yeah just I think height would would become like the only uh, distinguishable factor of like recognizing people and thinking about people. You would just go like everyone is, and and we can even go into the weeds and and talk about like that 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 ultra cliche thing talking about race, like lots of skeletons of innumerable races, like oh everyone. Uh, when we die, everyone will be like that. And and with this X-ray vision, he's basically experiencing that in, when he's alive. And I, I don't think how, how that would affect someone. Like, <laughs> you, you're talking about it being metal, but I mean, it, it would be really strange. Oh, definitely. <laughs> like, I, I think he did bring something very interesting. Well, <laughs> here's the thing. Uh, as we both know, like we're talking about Rio and Rio in the late 19th century, early 20th century. So it's like the matter of race, racism, and slavery was very present in Rio, if everywhere in like the major cities, but in yeah. Rio especially. So I think this has something to account, like this indifferentiated human species is somewhat unbearable and, and I'm not but when you think about the full consequences of that that becomes hard to interpret I think because yeah, yeah you 
you realize, yeah, like, yeah, everyone is. But then again, then again, it's sort of an undifferentiated way for that. The race differentiation was gone already with his sight. Exactly. So he already was sort of like exempt from that main aspect of race, like the visual one. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I don't know what to think. I'm half rambling right now, but I think <laughs> I think that plays a part into it because. Yeah, because if we think historically, I mean, it's yeah. it's less than thirty years that slavery was abolished in yeah. Brazil. It's it's really close. Yeah, it, it, it's whether he was aware of it or not. Like it, it's there. Yeah. So in a way, like he, I guess he does sort of avoid the problem, or, or sort of shows some like it's not a thing. Because well, on the one hand, he doesn't. He literally does not see color. Like, think about not seeing color uh, in, as the way sometimes people use that language. Oh, I don't see color. Well, no, that's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's bad. Uh, I some of that argument because, like, yeah, you're just ignoring the fact that we suffer major oppression. So yeah, that, that's yeah. not a good way to say or handle it. But yeah. he literally it's does. Just, yeah, it's it's the it's the problem that is not even like the the, the problem of this short sentences talking about these matters is that it's just too simple to use as a flag. Exactly. I exactly. mean, it, it's just a, a whole gigantical discussion and you're going to base your whole consensus on a subject with a phrase. It's almost... It's ridiculous. It's silly. Yeah. And, but yeah, as you said, he literally doesn't see color. <laughs> like... And yet he doesn't... I guess it goes through like the short story being so short, so we don't see much of the character. But yeah. the people are still people, and the yeah. skeletons is like, yeah, they're all people, but they're skeletons. Yeah, but I think uh, th that's the perfect moment to go back to the the work that he wrote basically half of his life, yeah. the history yeah. of human knowledge. Like, what 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 does that eight volume work? tells us about how he feels about looking at people and seeing skeletons. What do you think? Okay, <laughs> no, that's a trick question I wasn't expecting. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I think, in a way, I, I think his reaction at the end, considering this, is like, the human knowledge he has, or that we have, is very limited. And yeah. there are certain boundaries that should not be crossed. I'm not yeah. saying that's my perspective. I think that's sort of like the story's perspective in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, he is sort of familiar or attempting to be familiar and be knowledgeable and understand this human knowledge in its totality in like these absurd ways. But to challenge that in sort of a fundamental way or with like a sight that should not be sight. Uh, yeah, that violates something and makes you like no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where I go with it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like I, I would do a double analysis of like a, a mirror thing that happens in the beginning and happens in the end. Like maybe it was the fourteen years of writing and the eight books of writing or about human knowledge and the history of it that made him go blind yeah and when he so he goes blind because of human uh, doing a, a almost ultra cold and direct analysis in a phrase like he went blind because of the subject and the interest in human knowledge and thinking about the history and the conceptions of what we know about human beings. And then in the end, he makes himself go blind as he has this new, uh, almost like the ninth book of this history of human knowledge, because now he sees things in a whole different way. And he's just like, it's a new, it's a new chapter 
to a subject that made him go blind the first time. So why uh, the the process goes back again and he just can bear it and just goes for the eyeball. <laughs> he does. He definitely yeah. does. And like, yeah. it's interesting because the usual meaning of blindness in literature is that it is, well, it is ignorance. It is lack of knowledge. Yeah. And uh, we did take in a very clear, concrete, solid direction, which I think was more interesting. But if we apply it to this, it sort of shows that, like, there are, it reinforces the whole aspect. There's, like, there are certain things that should not be known, certain things that should not be seen, and yeah. the sort of knowledge that is best not known. So the knowledge of, like, bodies or in that way as skeletons, uh, understanding human beings wholly as skeletons, which was what he was seeing, was something yeah. impossible, something that would destroy him. So, what was the next best thing? Destroy that way of seeing things. Exactly, because it's almost like you wake up tomorrow and you go to the streets and everybody's naked. Yeah. Like, how, how are you going to handle living? Like, Oh, and you need to be naked as well because everybody's naked now. And when you look at yourself, you're naked. It's like the same thing. He he would look at himself and he would be in X-ray as well. And he looks at people and people are in X-ray and everybody is this uh, bone multitude. And it's the same thing. Like it, it's just a gigantical shift of perspective that we as human beings in general we can't handle it very well because as we know, tradition and and the sort of, of these things that we repeat throughout history, it takes ages to to accept some things and to turn some some new things into habits. So when you are confronted with the reality of everything changing, it's scary. And mm-hmm. and that's and that's the whole point. Like he was confronted with being blind, and that was scary to him. And then he, at, at the first moment, uh, almost found peace in it, because he was some days in the experience. But then, when he was confronted the second time, he he couldn't handle the the shift. He couldn't handle the the contrast. Yeah, like uh, uh, something that I was also like, this is silly. But if he looked into a mirror, would he see just a mirror, or would he see his own reflection as a skeleton? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, this sort of just plagued my mind when you were talking about him seeing himself as a skeleton. And while I agree, I think as a mirror, I think that'd be more difficult. Yeah, because it's almost like uh, that that whole debate on that on that movie Ghost, where he he can't he can't go into contact with his his widow and he's trying to like move the the coin and move things in the house to show that he's still there but he can't he doesn't have the materiality to move things but then you think well how he's standing on the ground wouldn't he just go pass through the ground like what's the what's the whole argument of the whole movie expect you talking about ghosts you know? yeah that's an interesting but, twist <laughs> but yeah maybe because if he has this sort of x-ray vision i would think that it is it's not just like x-ray waves going yeah it's just like yeah. his eyes has this, this capability so i i think he would like look down and see two tibias and two femurs and oh i i agree yeah you see exactly that <laughs> Because he yeah. says, like, he sees inanimate objects, but people become x-rays. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think, I don't know, do you have anything else to say? I, I, slightly shorter than usual, but especially with yeah. technical problems. And considering this is a very, very short story, I think yeah. we've got quite a lot of interesting stuff on it, on, like, cultural analysis and, like, a bit about papers and presentation. That was fun. Yeah, I- I think the, the the last thing that I shall say, I already talked about it, but I don't know if it, it will be cut because of the technical problems, but I love the fact that this is inside 
uh, horror story book because it's basically through horror that we can talk in in kind of strange uh, non-linear ways about perception and about and about tradition and about habits and about shifts and things like that like uh, it's exactly that like uh, we have a story where basically the same thing happens two times with different reactions and different aspects but the the nature of it uh, the nature of the story and of its content gives the 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 confirmation of a horror story I'm thinking about that, like because it, it it's it's uh, sorry because it's almost like reading anything that's uh, horror in the 21st century is like if someone in 200 years ago ta talked about zombies and ghosts and skeletons, uh, just the nature of talking about it was scary, was spooky. It had this kind of other regard to it. Yeah. And now I could literally uh, write a short story about killing zombies and it would be probably considered as action and not as terror. So when I see something like that, I mean, it doesn't have that many characteristical literary elements, like written elements of terror, but the whole way of dealing with the subject is very, it's very terror-y, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I do, though, I guess with this story, like, when I read it, and you told me that it was from a horror collection, I, I don't know, I don't think it as a horror story, not as yeah. much, like, yeah. there's not, it's, it's more like a fantastic story, yeah. a, a more, like, yeah. a more gothic than horror, I think. Exactly. Say it's horror. It, it just—it's strange. It's weird, but it, it doesn't capture like that sort of more gruesome, more dreadful. But yeah, that's that's definitely interesting. And yeah, uh, like horror allows the questioning of these certain things, and maybe at the time it was much more horrific than it is now. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But I, I think in the end we we are agreeing because you said like. It, it isn't that much horror as you read it. And and I, I, I totally agree. Like, uh, that's exactly it. Like, when I read it, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't, like, checking my back to see if Slenderman was inside my room going to kill me. Like, I mean, when, when I think about terror, good... Uh, I mean, when it's uh, crude, 100% terror, it always gives me th this feeling like, I check my back and I, I close the door and then I look it through the window and, and things like that. And in this case, it's more like a suspense story. I don't know. Yeah, the... sort of like a thriller. Yeah, like a thriller. Uh, but again, it, uh, it, I think we agree in the way that it isn't much... Uh, there, there, there isn't lots of horror elements, but I think the way that he's talking about the subject is is a way that horror uses in in his its great uh its great works so i i i think it makes sense to be in a horror collection yeah i think it does i think there's plenty to sort of justify it at the end of the day but yeah, yeah. i think uh, anything else no i think yeah it's it's just it's a, a crunchy, uh, fast, short story, uh, a nice one. And yeah, I, I mean, it's a kind of short story that just, I, I am reading, I'm rereading The Invisible Cities by Italo Calvino. And yeah, it, it just had has this sort of way to deal with literature as well. Like it's just those short texts about, uh, texts about, uh, small subjects that keeps you thinking about it. Like you, you think about like blindness, and you think about death, and and 
curing yourself or staying with the disease that is not anymore seen as a disease. Like it, it, it has a sort of aspect of it's really short. It's really simple, basically, but it, it, it keeps you guessing after you keep thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I wholly agree. I wholly yeah. Agree. That's this, it. Uh, any final comments I want to make? I guess that's, it's an interesting story. And I hope we were able to sort of bring it to light. This is yeah. not like available at all in English. Exactly. But I think we did bring some interesting discussion to it. And sorry if we've been a bit all over the place, especially me, like the technical issues, like I, I, my head is still like sort of spinning and oh my God, I've been worrying. So there's all that. <laughs> but it, it's going to be fine. Like carry on and you will figure something out. I'm going to have to have a microphone with some of the patient money probably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think this was a good one. I think we had some interesting stuff. Oh, and you mentioned crunchy, crunchy like eyeballs squish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know if an eyeball is crunchy or squishy, but yeah, <laughs> I think it would be squishy because it's sort of soft. Uh, yeah, at least that's what most media tells me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in any case, I think. I think that's it from us for now. Yeah, so exactly. We'll catch you Thank soon. you for listening. We have other stuff in the works. And yeah. Yeah. We'll see you in two weeks and probably less for the Patreon folks. I'm working yeah. on some things to write. I've got that figured out. And uh, we're working on the Poetry Club that should be out quite soon. So, yeah. Uh, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash leftpage and on Twitter at leftpagepod. So that's it from us. Thank you so much for listening. Until the next one. I'm looking through you. Where did you go? I thought I knew you. What did I know? You don't look different, but you have changed. I'm looking through I thought I knew you, what did I know?